Welcome to Trust in the Lord with Pastor Tim Dove of the Mission Life Christian Center in Bryson City, North Carolina, where we are intentionally demonstrating God's love in every moment. Grab your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dove as we trust in the Lord as presented in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Now sit back and enjoy the living Word of God. I'm going to take this opportunity to go into the Word of God today. Last week we spoke about the strategy of fear. And as a reminder, we must see that fear looks to blindside you to knock you out of walking in the Spirit of God into fulfilling the lust of the flesh. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, fear will work to separate you from operating out of a sound mind in the spirit and into the spirit of a chaotic mind of the flesh. And that's where we left off last week. But I want to talk today about the strategy of doubt. They go hand in hand. Fear will try to knock you into a chaotic mindset and God will try to keep you there. So I want to look at James chapter 1. Beginning at verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And verse 8 says, he is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. You see, the strategy of doubt and fear have a common target. The strategy of, uh, strategy of doubt is to make you unstable in all your ways. All doubt needs to do is cause you to wobble. You know, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. The Christians shouldn't wobble. See, the wobble is a fall down with a Christian. You know, you can be hit by something and take a hit, but no breaking. But when it comes to faith, you shouldn't fall down and you shouldn't wobble. Your faith should be the structure of stability that causes you to be able to stand no matter what the storm, no matter what the attack, my faith does not waver. It does not wobble. Amen? I should never doubt. But we know that fear can come and blindside you and take you out of the mindset of Christ. And once you're out of the mindset of Christ, Doubt could come in and cause your faith to wobble. 
And now you're in a position of weakness where you're not operating in the blessings of God, but you have submitted to the cursings that are all around. Because God does not curse his people. God blesses his people. Amen? Now, another part of the strategy of doubt is to get the person that should be operating in faith to stop making God decisions and begin making bad decisions. In other words, a person that doubts lacks the ability to make sound decisions. Because if fear puts you in a mindset of chaos and doubt strikes out your fear, your, your faith, then you're, you're in a weak position where you have no hope to get out of the chaos of your mind. Many people who don't know Christ live in the chaos of mind because they have no hope. But I'm speaking to the church. I'm speaking to followers of Jesus Christ right here. There's too many in the church today. One is too many. But I'm talking there is a multitude of followers of Jesus Christ today that have weebled and wobbled, that have wavered in their faith, that have brought up other solutions to help define and try to find healing outside of faith trying to find their strength outside of faith, trying to find peace outside of faith, it can't be done. When you're doing anything outside of faith, you're operating inside the chaotic mind of the flesh. And now you're in opposition, clear opposition against God. You're opposing God's uh, solution for your life. So I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to go 22 through 23. So let's, let's read along with me. Verse 23, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. I like the word immediately. Please mark that in. in if you've got to mark your Bible up, strike around the word immediately. Immediately is, is repeated quite often. So where is the immediate? Just previous to this time, Jesus fed the 5,000, demonstrating his providence, demonstrating his sovereignty, demonstrating all his, all his power, his knowledge, demonstrating who he is. Took five loaves, two fishes, broke it up, fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children with them. And they took up 12 baskets. Who's they? The disciples that immediately were put in the boat. So they didn't go to sleep before they got the boat. They went directly from a revival, directly from miracles, directly from seeing something that, that uh, they've never seen before in their life. And Jesus immediately, that means, oh, they're all fed, you got your baskets, guys get in the boat, going over to the other side. That quick. And they moved obediently. That quick, get in the boat, go on to the other side. And here's what he said, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the, his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. He sent his disciples away and he handled the crowds. You imagine that? These people, that were the 5,000 that were fed, 
Jesus took the people that normally would handle this thing, because now the ministers of the church today, they preach and they leave and they hide in, in a green room. And then they have their team come out and disperse the crowd. But Jesus did something opposite. Jesus took authority in their life and showed a, a miracle. And then he told his disciples, I'm still serving you. And I'm still serving them. I'm serving you and letting you know, go on, get in the boat and start. You, you need a head start. You don't know why you need a head start, but you need one. But I'll disperse the crowd. I'll give the authority and tell the crowd, go on home. Now, this is the same crowd that when he went from one place to the other, they followed him all around the town that came out and got there to, to a place where he needed to feed them. But obediently, the crowd dispersed. And when he was by himself, he went up and prayed and spent time for himself. Now let's go. Verse 23, it says, Now when evening came, he was alone there. No one around him. He was successful in getting everyone out from around him. In 24 it says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Now. now we're going to get something in here just, just immediately. Verse 25, Now in the fourth watch, Looking at the boat in the middle of the sea in verse 24, that's three to four miles into the sea. So by the time that Jesus began to move towards them, they were three to four miles into the midst of the Sea of, sea of Galilee. But the fourth watch is, is uh, what's amazing. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. We're going to get to there. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. No, that's not how they said it. It's a, it's a ghost! <laughs> now, why do you think they were troubled? It, it really clearly says that as they were going out three to four miles in the sea, they should have already made it over. Because from the time frame... From where Jesus began to feed the 5,000 and told them to go to the time that Jesus decided that he's going to go and catch them was, a, was about 12 hours. <laughs> took them three to four hours, uh, miles. Took them 12 hours to get three to four miles to the middle of the sea. Because the storm was heavy, the waves were fighting against them. Could you imagine that they got on the boat? Could you imagine they got on the boat and said, we're going to be obedient today? He says, get on the boat, but just get on the boat. They might even start talking about, man, look at all these baskets. I think on the boat while we go, hey, that's just, we might be able to snack on the way. We got all the food we need when we get to the other side. Well, ain't that nothing. Who, everyone else got a basket. Wow, all of us got a basket. And they're going over to the other side. But I'm thinking within the first couple of hours and the storm's raging on them, and they're not going as fast as they wanted to go. They're not caring about the baskets anymore. They don't care about the food. In fact, in, it says in the midst of the sea, if you're three to four miles from the, from the place where they, the Bible says that they were, they were totally in the middle. They were pa past the point of no return. So basically they were in a place where it's going to be just as bad going back as it is going forward. 
So we'll have to keep trying to go forward. What are they doing? They're rowing the boat against the waves. They are physically involved in trying to get that boat over there. And now they're anywhere from 9 to 12 hours in this battle. Fighting, and they're only halfway there. So you can see that they don't really have the mindset on what just happened. They don't really have the mindset of the obedience to Christ. All they got their eyes on are the troubles they're in. So the blessing of the baskets are still at their feet. The altar remembers is still there. But they're not looking at that. They're looking at the trials and the tribulations, the winds and the waves. They're looking at the torment of their arms. Can you imagine their backs are breaking? Can you imagine their arms feel like they're falling apart? Because you're rolling against the wind. You're rolling against the waves. And you're getting nowhere. Anybody ever felt like that? Huh? All I want to do is be obedient for Christ. And it feels like I'm not getting anywhere. Because I'm rolling against the waves. And I'm, I'm rolling against the wind. And I can't even remember the blessings that are sitting at my feet. Come on now. Verse 26. And the disciples saw him walking on the scene. They were troubled and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. Now remember, fear has a strategy. And that strategy is to move you out of the mindset of Christ into the mindset of chaos. These disciples who just witnessed a tremendous miracle. And before that, they've been walking and seeing miracles. And they're just obediently, they're, they were exactly where they were told to be. Jesus said, get in the boat, go on to the other side. So they couldn't look at it themselves and say, we missed it. Because it's very clear, get in the boat, go to the other side. But in their chaotic mind, they forgot to understand that he said, I'll come to you. That should tell you two things. Number one, he that just fed the 5,000 said that you're going to safely make it to the other side. He that fed the 5,000 and the evidence of it is at your feet said that he's going to meet you over there. And he said that the way you're going to get there is get in the boat and go straight to the other side. Amen? That should have been where their faith held without wobbling and wavering. That should have been where that happened, but the storm was greater than their faith. They weebled, they wobbled, they fell down. And here they are struggling against all of this. But they immediately came again in verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. Now, they cried out in fear, but that's when the master spoke, speaks out. And he said, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. How many times can we just go to the master in the midst of our troubles and trials and call out to him? And he says, don't be afraid, it is I. Be of good cheer. He says that every time you go into a trial and tribulation when winds are blowing and the waves are banging against, against your vessel that's trying to take you, obediently, you're trying to obediently go from one place to the other, you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do. And still, the waves get there. What is that a picture of? You're not promised 
a life without trials. But you're promised a life of victory. You're, you're, you're promised that by faith he'll get you through. You're promised that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even though he wasn't physically in the boat with them, he was with them. Because his word was given to them and they took his word out of obedience and they put his word in their heart and they got into the boat uh, uh, obediently and at his word they began to row and the trial came and shook him up. And Peter said, Peter answered and said, Lord, and this is verse 28, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. Peter asking Jesus, hey, this is Peter's Gideon's fleece. Lord, if it's you, call me out there. Let me come out there. And Jesus says, come. Amen. So Peter took the word put the word in his heart and jumped out of the boat. And Peter walked on water because your word have I hid in my heart that I might sit not sin against you. So he took the word, put it in his heart because now he says, I want you to get out of the boat because you, you wanted to get out of the boat. So he jumps out of the boat. He begins to walk on water but fear came in because his eyes began to see the wind and his eyes began to see the seas. And he began to look at something. What did he do? Although he had the word inside of him, he got his eyes off of Christ. And when he got his eyes off of Christ, he began to sink into fear. He went from having the mindset of Christ that I can walk on this water with you because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can walk on this water with you. And immediately that word was shrunk and collapsed and forgotten. And he was shifted by fear out of the mindset of Christ into a chaotic mindset. At the chaotic mindset, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, Peter sank into what he feared. Instead of standing on top of his fear, holding hands with Christ, Peter sank into what he feared. Check this out. But when he saw the wind and the boisterous and was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now look at this. This is this is what we cried every day. He is faithful. Because I want to see immediately he's coming again. Although he had the word in his heart to come. Although they had the word in their hearts to get in the boat and go. Fear still collapsed upon them and they allowed fear to cause them to weep, waver and to doubt. But the grace of God and the mercy of God moved in. Immediately. Because Peter says, Lord, save me. You ever been in a moment where you, all, you, all you do is say, Lord, save me? Or all you can do is say, Jesus. Or as Pastor Tim yesterday said, help. You get in that moment. 
immediately, this is what the Lord did. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? I think Jesus was sitting there giggling inside of him and Peter jumped out of that boat and started walking that water. I believe that big grin came up and all of a sudden the wind. See, that represents to me the wind of doctrine. Because he was walking on the waves, but if you look back over here, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he went away from seeing Christ and holding to the word of promise to shifting his mindset to another gospel. Come on now. Shift it to another Jesus. Shift it to an antichrist position. We do that today because when we, when we quote that by your stripes we are healed and then we have another gospel comes in here and says, but this, but that, but this, then you're shifting your mindset to another gospel and you're shifting yourself into a drowning. Peter had what he asked for. He's walking on the waves. Peter got his healing. Peter got his peace. Peter got his joy. Uh, Peter got his prosperity out of God. And he was walking on top of that which could destroy him. That's a picture of who we should be if we don't fear. We don't doubt. We don't waver. We should be walking on the water of that which would destroy us. But it's the wind of doctrine that becomes boisterous in our vision and in our ears and in our eyesight as we see that someone else had a, a, an opinion. Someone else had an experience. You may be coming off your own experience. Peter was a fisherman. He knows what the wind can do. He knew what the waves could do. He's probably lost friends in that sea. But he's walking on that which he used to fear. He sees Christ standing on there. Why? Because Christ defeated that water. Christ defeated that fear. He was, he was standing on top of the, what made him fear. But it's not enough to stand on your fear. It's also keep your, keep your mind and your eyes set on him so that other doctors do not come in and cause you to falter, cause you to fail, cause you to break away from what God has promised you. All the promises of God are yes, and in him I amen. All the promises. When he says by his stripes, we are healed. We shouldn't have to walk in anything but his healing. But why do we falter, doubt, wavering, looking at another doctrine? What do we do? My past experience says that not everybody gets healed. That's not what God's Word says. Your, your past experience says that person can't be raised from the dead, but that's not what God's Word says. Your past Word says that you have to live in poverty. That's not what God's Word says. So you have to take and refuse the boisterous wind of doctrine that is against the word of God. Amen? Don't waver. Whew. <laughs> and immediately, verse 31 again, and Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Now, here's where I get it. I saw, I mean, I loved it. There was a, a, a meme that went out, and it had a, a grain of mustard seed sitting on a finger. 
and it went out this last week or something like that. I don't know how long it's been floating around. But the person's finger take a picture and says, this is my faith. And something like, you better watch out. I'm getting ready to use it. Amen? But then I want to look at this like, yeah, it's true. If I had a faith as a grain of a mustard seed, I can speak to that mountain and it be removed. Amen? That's the word of God, right? But we can't stay in the seed of mustard seed faith. If we only try to hold on to a seed of faith, then we're missing the point. He said, the one that can create the thing that reproduces is enough to take a, to speak to a mountain and have it be removed. That's just the seed. But if you plant that seed inside of you and you water it with the word of God and you let this seed increase and become a tree that the birds can come. This is just an herb, but it becomes a tree that birds can nest in. That's the faith that we should grow into because that's faith that won't be broken or lost. That's faith that will not break. That's faith that will sustain. And that's also faith that people can come and pull seed off of your faith and that could become their seed. See, if your seed is not reproducible, then you've eaten your seed. And if your faith has died inside of you because you've not watered it with the Word of God and you're depending to pull that seed out of your pocket and say, I'm getting ready to use this, you've already lost. You've already lost. Why? Because you should have already planted that deep inside of you and said, Oh, I'm not satisfied with the mountain, but I, I'm going to be able to speak to this whole world and transform it into the kingdom of God. Not only the mountain, but I think today I'm going to go out and cause this sea to be over here and this sea to be over here. I'm going to, I'm going to make that river go over here. I want my hallway to go through here, and I don't want to have to build around the hallway. So I'm going to cause that mountain just to split and a road become. Because that's ever-increasing faith. Faith not wavering. Well, where do you find your faith? Where do you find that thing to claim? Where do you find that thing? Only in the Word of God. If God's Word supports my faith, if it's in God's word as a promise of God, there I stand and can claim upon that faith and say, I may not see it now, but faith is not about seeing. Faith is saying, I'm buying the plot of ground right now because someday there's going to be a house sitting there. <laughs> Woo! Right, watch out now. Don't get it too excited. <laughs> and when they got into the boat, this is Jesus and Peter when they got back into the boat. Now remember, this boat, and there's a bunch of smaller boats. There just wasn't one boat in there. It was that boat and some smaller boats going with them. And when they got in, into the boat, the wind ceased. See, when Jesus comes into where you're at, and you welcome him in, you get him by the hand, you say, come on in. And he sits down in the midst of your storm, the winds of doctrine will cease. The boisterous wind will go away. Why? Because you settled. You settled in his word. This is the boat. 
This is the boat. The Word of God is the boat to be in. Get in my Word and go on to the other side. I'll meet you there. And you might have a storm come up, but stay in the boat. But if I come out and you want to get out with me, I'll let you come. But when you get out, you better keep your mind on me. Because when you start to step out in Christ, see, that's what Peter was doing. That's a picture of evangelism. That's a picture of missionary. That's someone saying, I'm not, I'm not settled just being in the boat that you commanded me to be in. Lord, bid me come to you. Let me go out and step out to where you're at. And that is evangelism. That is preaching the word. That is teaching. That is proclaiming the word of God. That's taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming it to the world. Let me come to you. And the only thing he had a problem with is that his uh, spirit was strong, but his flesh was weak. So in the spirit and his faith in Christ, he rejoiced. You know what rejoicing is? That's leaping with joy. I think that was the, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And the Lord said, come. So he rejoiced. He leapt right out of that boat with joy. And he moved right towards Christ, walking on water. Why? Because it became pavement for him. And then fear took his joy away. Fear took his strength away. Because God calls us, every one of us are ministers. Every one of us are called into the kingdom of God to do a work, whether we work or school, whatever you're doing. We're all called there. But with joy, we should rejoice and jump on out of the boat onto the water with Christ and say, I'm ready to come with you. But then you have to make sure that you don't fall for the winds of doctrine that are there to cause you to be shifted and fear come in and get you out of the mindset of Christ, out of the mind of the Spirit, into the mind of the flesh, which is chaotic. Man, I'm loving this today. I don't know about you. I'm having a little bit of fun. I couldn't wait. I was chomping at the bits. I said... <laughs> Now, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying this, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, you would think that's a great thing. It is. Truly you are the Son of God. They worship there. Oh, that's wonderful, but it's not good. That's not good. That's when they get the revelation. Not feeding 5,000. That's when they get the revelation. Let's look at this thing. Twelve hours of miraculous doubt and fear. Twelve hours of forgetting who Christ was. Twelve hours of miraculous doubt and fear. Who's lived twelve hours of miraculous doubt and fear? They kept themselves up all night worrying about such and such and this and that instead of holding strong to the Lord. Twelve hours of miraculous doubt and fear. It is miraculous because if your doubt and fear can overcome God's peace, if, if your doubt and fear can overcome his victory in you, it's 12 hours of miraculous doubt and fear. There's a miracle happen. You took the undefeated one and defeated him. Come on now. Watch out. So, this begins at around 6 p.m., between 6 p.m. and nightfall, when Jesus is saying, you go on over there, I'll disperse the crowds. So around that time, it's, it's, it's moving into the darkness time. And then, as Jesus fed the 5,000, the, the, the guys to the other side of the sea, 
From that time to the time that Jesus came to him, it was 6 p.m. the day before, and he comes walking on water to him about 3 a.m., between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., because it's on the fourth watch. So they had all night to battle with their demons. They had all night to be able to stand up in faith that did not. All night. Can you imagine? There's, there's the evidence of he's king of kings and lord of lords right at our feet. I could still smell the fish and I could smell the bread. I could still taste it. I, it's right there. There's the evidence that he is lord of all. And he gave us the word that we're going to be okay. Go on over there. I'll meet you on the other side. He gave us that word. And the evidence is there that he's the Lord. He's the son of God. The evidence is there. But the trials came and they immediately forgot the evidence. They forgot what they experienced on the, on, on the land. They forgot about, five, how can you forget about 5,000 men plus women and children on top of that being fed by five loaves of two fishes? I don't know. I would have probably lost sleep over that. But I'm not going to blame them because they, I'm as fallible as they are. Because we do worse than that. We see the picture of the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins, and yet we get shaken up. We know all the promise of God written in this word. Do you realize do you realize that those men shaking in that boat, some of them are going to be used to, to, to present to us by, through the Holy Spirit to write letters and, and write word and put together and t attach it to the Old Testament we call the New Testament. And it's by this New Testament that is, that is, a, that is a continuation of the Old Testament. Those guys in that boat, almost all of them, Paul wasn't there. You know he wasn't there because he had to go kill people first. But there are men in that thing that were, that were writing letters that we live by today. Huh? So we have the word inside of us. We know every promise of God. We know what he did. We've accepted him into our heart, yet we deny him every single day. We decide that our, our problems are greater than him, so I let doubt and fear come into me. I got a chaotic mind get a hold of me. I start doing things opposite of what he's called me to do. I'm worse than the one in the boat. Huh? Come in. Amen? Because at that time, Jesus hadn't died. At that time, he's not inside them. He's with them. And the one that's with them just told them, you need to go over there without me. You just need to go on my word. But now, if God sells me to get in the boat, he says, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never have to get on the boat without him. So I'm not going to blame the disciples while they started going chaotic. Because they get on the boat and they say, man, this only take us a couple hours to get over there and start a fire, maybe warm this stuff up, get, get it, have everything ready. I don't know when he's going to come. Probably come in the morning because it'll take him a while to get there. He's going to have to walk around everything. Jesus hadn't walked on the water yet. They didn't know that was going to be a possibility. Don't you know? <laughs> they don't know when Jesus is going to show up. They just say, we're going to be over there. We'll get over there. We'll start a fire. We'll get our rest and everything else. We got we got breakfast is already here. We got a midnight snack. It's already there. It's at our feet. Isn't that great? And then the wind started to pick up. All right, it's going to take us a little bit longer. Then the waves started to go, and the boat started to pop, a pop, a pop, and water started to come in. And I said, whew, get the rails out, guys. We got to get this thing digging. Dig, dig, dig. And now for hours upon hours upon hours, they're trying to get to the other side, and they can't even get to the middle. I've been there. 
I've been there. I've been there obediently following God. Why? Because when you are called to go to the other side, when you are called by God to go from this victory into the next victory, to go from this victory of ministry into the next, to transition into God's promises into a greater authority through the anointing, the anointing was in the boat. The anointing was in the wind. The anointing was in the water. What are you saying? The anointing is the fatness that grows you and helps you to break that yoke. You know, the anointing breaks the yoke. So that storm was anointing them into a greater ministry, into a greater revelation, into a greater authority. Jesus was going to come to them, going to meet them at the other side. They knew that. But they looked at the storm and saw that the storm was greater than the word. You cannot let anything in this world be greater than the Word. you got to hold on to the Word no matter how big or how small it is. So when the winds come, thank you for growing my anointing. When the storm picks up and the waves start to topple at the boat, thank you, Lord, for growing my anointing. And when I'm struggling against the, the, the oars and I'm pulling and pulling and pulling and it's taken me twice as long to get halfway. Thank you, Lord, for growing the anointing in me. Why? Because when I break out of this yoke, I'm going to have a greater authority. And now I'm not going to have to worry about the, the waves and the wind. I'm not going to have to worry about the boat and the oars. I'm not going to have to worry about drowning because you. I know that I have your word. And at your word, by faith, I stand in you. Why? Because it's your word. My faith is anchored in your word. My faith is anchored in Christ. What he accomplished at the cross. Wait a minute, he hadn't been to the cross yet. Yes, he has. He was at the cross at the beginning. He was at the cross at the ending because all the word is about him. When he said it was finished in creation, it was also finished at the cross. And it's also finished after the thousand year reign. Woo! It is finished by faith. I am secure in him. And I just take him at his word and his word inside of me and I'm walking in that. All they have to do is hold on to the word and not waver. Not waver. So between six, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus came to them. So here they're fighting all night long. And that, that bread's probably soggy. And the fish are probably ruined. And they don't care. All they want to do is kiss the ground on the other side. They want to survive. Look, look. It don't matter if your bread got soggy. It don't matter if your provision got ruined. What matters is that he is your provision. He is your bread. Don't look at the things that get torn up and taken away in the midst of the storm. God can re replace that. Amen? Amen? Keep on to the word. Hold to the word. I might start preaching, but man, I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm taking a bath in the word right now. Woo! Taste and see that I am good. Now let's combine all those reports because you know that in John, Mark, and Matthew, this same instance was broken together. So let's see the things that stood out. In John chapter 6, verse 19, it says, So when they had rode about three or four miles, <laughs> they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. So that says they were only three to four miles in there, and they were rowing. 
Anybody ever rode a boat? Anybody ever rode a boat on the calm water? Anybody ever rode a boat on a choppy water? Two totally different things. Two totally, you're fighting for your life, you're fighting for your strength, you're hoping your arms don't pop out. And when you're on smooth water, you just take a glide and you just sit there and look back and that thing's just going, and you get to look at all nature. <laughs> but when the water's chopping, you're looking at the water. You're looking at the front of that boat. You're wondering why. Why am I not going as easy as I was? Four miles. Three to four miles of rowing a boat and choppy water and heavy winds. Lord, Jesus, help us all. In Mark chapter 6, verse 40 and 52, it says, Then he saw them straining at rowing. Come on. <laughs> no, this is so funny. Because if you put these together, they're rolling for three to four miles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something at you. <laughs> Mark 6, 48 and 52, it says, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. And here's the funny thing. He saw them straining at the rowing, he said, and he would have passed them by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gonna leave him behind. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, look, look at you. I see you straight now. See you on the other side. I'm the one that's gonna build the fire. <laughs> Woo! Don't you know you heard all the things? Hey, we can get some sleep over there. Hey, we're going to build a fire. We got all the food we need to go have a snack when we get there. Maybe have breakfast in the morning. And Jesus is going, I'm going to build a fire and I have fish on the fire for you. <laughs> Ain't that something? He would have passed them by. That is the most funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, he, see, why? Because Jesus didn't worry about them. Because he put the, his word in the boat. He didn't need to be in that boat with them. They're the ones that are afraid. He said, no, my word is still with you. Right. <laughs> and I told you you're going to get on to the other side. I love that. <laughs> Matthew 14, 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, and this is when he got in the boat, truly you are the Son of God. Now, in Mark 6, 52, it says, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That's why when they said, truly you are the son of God, is not a good thing. Because they hardened their hearts about the loaves. They didn't bother to know that he was the son of God because of the miracle they see. They didn't care about it. All they really cared about was the baskets. At first all they cared about was the money. At first, they didn't care about just get these people out of here because we don't have enough money to feed them. Jesus says, how much food do you got? Well, we're over here. We have five loaves of two fish. He said, bring them over here. Starts breaking them up. 5,000 people set them over in these groups. And each of you have a group. You go feed them. And he starts breaking this. And, the, and, and there's a few Old Testament uh, uh, accounts of just that thing. Jesus wasn't doing a new thing. Jesus was performing something that was already performed before. Can I get an amen? amen? This is not a new thing. Well, it's so hilarious. 
They're sitting there eating and breaking bread and seeing something they've heard. They've heard the stories and everything else, and they probably said, man, look at this. We're living in the Old Testament. We're living in the old times. It's right here before our eyes. They, they, they didn't regard him as the son of God. They're hard in their hearts. All they cared about was the baskets. All they cared about was getting on onto the other side and having Jesus for themselves again. They wanted away from the crowd. Whew. <laughs> because their hearts was hard. And that's a sad thing. But here's the coolest thing of all. This one has always, about this, has always blown me up. I want you to look at me immediately again. Because in John chapter 6, verse 21, then they willingly received him in the boat. See, they willingly said, oh, come on in. We need you. And it said, when he came into the boat, now notice, when he came into the boat, a couple of things happened. Everything ceased and peace came with him. Right? They worshipped him and they declared him to be the son of God. So peace was back in their life. Fear's defeated. Doubt's defeated. Now their, their mind is aligned in the mind of the spirit. So they received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Immediately. Now, now this isn't meaning that all of a sudden they were easy to get there. This means that they were translated from one point to the other. This means that from being in the middle, three miles, three to four miles away from your destination, immediately, suddenly, you're no longer on the water, but you're at your destination. All right, let's look at this. I'm going to break into some of those immediately. It's the same immediately that is spoken of when Jesus came and says, follow me, and they left their net nets immediately. They dropped their nets on the ground and immediately followed him. It's the same immediately that's used when he goes and says, follow me, and they leave their boats and follow me immediately. They don't do anything, just leave the boats and go. It's the same immediately that's used when the scales fell from Paul's eyes. It wasn't a, over time, the scales fell. It wasn't over time, the nets were left or the boat was left. Immediately, boom, boom. In the same moment of time, they were from the middle to their destination. How? Because the master's in the boat. Not only is the master in the boat, but faith is out of the boat. Doubt is out of the boat. I mean, faith is in the boat. Doubt is out of the boat. Fear is out of the boat. And Jesus comes in, but their testimony was in the boat. See, when you declare God's word and declare his promises, and the testimony is in alignment with your faith, and the word he spoke attends to your faith, and now your testimony... See, it's not enough to read the Word. It, it's, it's not enough to have the Word in you. You have to be able to have a revelation that the testimony of that Word... Because in the testimony of that Word, the immediate happens, the miracle happens, the break of forth happens. You know, if I don't live in that testimony, I could be rowing the rest of the way to my destination. But upon their testimony, he got into the boat and immediately they were at their destination. That's only because the Word came in and allowed it into my faith and my faith didn't waver, and now I have planted your word in my heart that I'm not sinning against you, and by not sinning against you, I testify of you and not against you. Your word have I 
hidden my heart that I not sin against you. What does that mean? It means I testify of you and not deny you. I speak your word back out. You are the son of God. That's all I wanted. Boop. Don't you know that the trial of their faith was probably because they hardened their hearts of the bread? That on the, on the, on the other shore, they didn't take the time to acknowledge that he is the son of God over there. And Jesus seeing that saying, why don't you just go without me then? Why don't you just take this next trip without me? I'm going to go up and pray. I just heard my cousin got his head cut off. And then I fed all these uh, 5,000. Because that's what had just happened. That's the chronological order of this story. John, the news of John the Baptist's head being cut off came to them. And then this crowd comes around him and then he feeds the crowd. Then he said, And then it just seems like nothing's dawning on the disciples that this is the Son of God. So why don't you just go on and take that boat ride across there. I'll meet you there. And that's also why Jesus is going to pass them by. He saw them in their struggle, but they still haven't had the revelation that he is the Son of God. Huh? He saw them in their struggle and said, I'm just going to pass you on by. I'll meet you over there. And why do you think they saw him coming? When their eyes should have been where they were going. Because they were in the midst of a decision, do we return back to where he was or do we obey him and continue where he told us to go? The only way for them to see that he was coming is because they have turned in their obedience and began to align themselves with, let's just get back to where we were. That's some word right there. So they see him coming and he's going to pass them by anyway. Then he gets in the boat. Immediately, they're over to the other side. Don't you know, James chapter 1 and 6, victory is yours, no doubt. Victory is yours, no doubt. No doubt victory is yours. Verse 6 says in James chapter 1, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Don't you know James is probably looking back at that day when James got the revelation along with the rest of them. You can't go back. You can't look at the storm. You've got to have faith unwavering. Faith without doubt. What God's word says, that's what it is. I, you know, forget all your arguments. You've got to get faith so strong that no argument needs to be applied to your table. When people bring their butts, give them toilet paper, let them wipe it and go on. Because when you bring a butt against God's promise, there's nothing worth having near the table. I don't care where you went to school at. When you begin to evangelize against the word of God, then you're out of his word and you're anti-Christ. What does his word say? Well, I haven't experienced that. Well, toilet paper, go away. Then matter if you haven't experienced that, experience it. 
Hmm? We'll put a stain on the gospel. You say, Pastor, that's really crude. Well, how crude is it that God gives you all these promises and we don't operate any in them? We'd rather wipe ourselves in the dung of man's word. We'd rather smell like other people that have never washed in the bathing of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we want to fit in. That's crude. Now, we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. So you, you don't, you're not supposed to look like them. You're not supposed to smell like them. You're supposed to bring an aroma that smells like Christ and you're supposed to be wrapped in righteousness of light to show them this is how you need to dress. I'm not talking about physical dress. I'm talking about righteousness dress. This is how you should be. Man's opinion has ruined more people that should be followers of Jesus Christ, that are proclaimed to be followers of Jesus Christ, but they went to secular humanism. They went to self-destruction or self-doubt, self-healing, self-destruction. They went to a place where they began to worship something other than God. In other words, the children of Israel had this problem. They got to the place where they were worshiping God and they were worshiping Baal. Elijah had to come in at a time where the people of God were worshiping both God and Baal. And he had to get them called up to a place called Mount Carmel. And he says, why are you struggling between two opinions here? If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. They, they, they remained silent. And then he said, how about this? You bring all the prophets of Baal and get everybody to get in here. You bring some oxen right here. You give them one, you give me one. You go first. You build your altar. You get all your prophets up here. You got to start cutting on one another and beating up on one another. Do everything you can. I'll give you all the day. I'll give you the all the day. Why? Because Elijah knew he only needed the evening sacrifice. Because if he had sacrificed any time earlier, he had been out of the will of God. So here are the prophets of Baal from morning to afternoon into the e coming up to the evening hour. And, and Elijah's sitting there mocking them, saying, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, maybe he's on vacation. Do it a little louder. And they get up and they take the spears out and start really ripping on themselves and cutting themselves open, beating themselves and trying to get attention of Baal, who is the fire god, by the way. Baal is the god of fire. One of his depictions. So what was the test? The God that answers by fire will be the one we serve. So Elijah took, see, our God, he can't be named. He's the God of everything. You don't go and say, he's the God of this, because you're lying. He's the God of everything. So Baal is the God of fire, so Elijah said, yeah, yeah. We're going to let you call on your God in his strength. He's the God of fire. You're going to call on him. They're cutting on each other and beating on each other and everything else. He says, that's it. We're done. Elijah says, build up this uh, altar right here. Dig me a trench and start bringing the water, baby. And he saturates the water in the ground so much with water that nothing could light. 
That's like trying to go down into the middle of the, the river there in Cherokee and throwing a match down in there, right in the middle, expecting a big bonfire to happen. Uh-uh. But all he had to do is a short prayer when, when Elijah gets up, a short prayer, and what did that God do? Fire from heaven fell and consumed every bit of the altar, not only, not only the ox, but the wood. Not only the wood, but the stone. Not only the stone, but all the water was lapped up. And not only all the water, but all the dust was lapped up. Because God will not be mocked. And you think you have a God that could go against him? God is the God of everything. And I'm looking at, but let you him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who, who doubts is like a wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. Elijah had faith in his God. There's no place in this world for this world in your place. Can I say it one more time? There's no place in this world for this world in your place. Because he's the God of everything. If you give Satan any place, then you've rejected God in all your place. Say it one more time. If you've given Satan a place in anything in your life, then you've rejected God in all of your life. Because he won't be shared. So what happened? After that, the children of Israel, Elijah says, the Lord, he is God. They gathered up all the prophets of Baal and killed them. Then they went to all the temples of Baal and ripped it down and killed anybody a part of that. What did they do? They sanctified the land. They got rid of everything that did not attend to God. And God healed their land. Then fear came against Elijah the very next day. And Jezebel threatened him with words. A wind of doctrine came against the man of God and he fell for it and ran. So just because you have victory doesn't mean that you get high minded and say, I can't be touched. You have to keep your mind stayed and anchored on what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross, your faith in that. Anything that comes outside of the cross, outside of what he has done at the cross, anything outside of his word, don't put your faith in that. Because you are building a bell in the midst of God's land. Amen? Thank you for joining Trust in the Lord with Pastor Tim Dove of the Mission, Life Christian Center in Bryson City, North Carolina. Join us next time as we continue to intentionally demonstrate God's love through the Word of God. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Blessings to you in the name of Jesus. For more information, you may contact us at The Mission, Live Christian Center, P.O. Box 2197, Bryson City, North Carolina, 28713. Or email us at themission.lcc at yahoo.com.